Welcome to Brief Success Radio, the podcast that brings you the most up-to-date information on training, nutrition, lifestyle and business with your host, Helda Barroso. Welcome to uh, the Brief Success Radio podcast. Once again, it's a pleasure to have you on board with us. Today, I'm very excited to have on board with us Victoria. Victoria, how do you say your surname? Belcar. Belcar. I didn't want to like butcher that name. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, Victoria, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank uh, you for really, having me. Really, really excited to have you on the podcast. One of the reasons I wanted to have you here is because I feel female health, hormonal health, is lacking within the world. Forget, forget the fitness industry. I think okay. the world really needs to know more about the female and females need to know more about their own bodies. So this is why I wanted you to, have, to be here on the podcast. So first of all, why don't you introduce yourself to the, to the audience, let them know who you are, your background, and we'll go from there. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me on. It's, uh, it's been 2020 has been weird weird because I haven't done as many speaking engagements. And so yeah. these are opportunities for me to actually get out there. Um, awesome. So I love it. Uh, so thank, thank you. you for that. But uh I am a researcher uh, in the world of women's health, uh, but I am what you call an interdisciplinary researcher, which means that I study from cellular to social and beyond. Um, My background is very, very diverse. Um, I have, gosh, been in post-secondary education for 14 years, going on 15 now, so big, big part of my life um but i love it i am um my background is in sport medicine uh kinesiology and exercise physiology i was going to go into med school early on in my uh, education but i actually kind of pivoted and went into research instead and a lot of that actually came from my own story as a young female with reproductive health issues I was caught in the cross fibers of not being able to get the help and the support that I needed, which was then compounded by the fact that I was a female athlete. So there is a lot to be said about the state of knowledge around women's reproductive health, and we are going to get into that. But in a special population like an athlete population, there's even less understanding. So I was in this this kind of cross fiber of not having the support that I needed, not having... um, I mean, well, going to doctors and being told, I don't, we don't know what's wrong with you. Um, being, being given solutions that just didn't seem right based off of the fact I was in pre-med at the time. So it was like, I don't know if this is hmm. what I'm being taught in school, but there is a gap between research and practice in medicine. So I was like, well, maybe that's just it. But nevertheless, I was continuing to get sicker and didn't get the help I needed. So that really shifted my career into research and not only just research because while I am in health and medicine um, and I do work people on a professional practice as a practitioner it is also about understanding where certain ideas have come from it's really hard to you know help let's just say even in this podcast help people understand the menstrual cycle Mm -hmm. if we don't understand where ideas surrounding the menstrual cycle came from okay it's kind of like doing a history on a client they can come to you but if you don't actually do say a case history and find out if they've got any previous injuries it's really hard to teach them how to squat 
properly. Absolutely. Absolutely. The same idea is for myself as a researcher when it comes to tackling today's uh, perceptions and practitioner guidelines surrounding women's reproductive health. Okay. I had to go back in time. So I literally look at genes and I mean, gosh, different types of hormonal processes within the body. But then I also look at the history of medicine and the history of where these ideas have come from, how they've come to be, and how do they influence women today? And where do we need to go from here? Um, often people in research, they want to know the why. So why is something happening? Yeah. For me, the how is just as important. We have to understand how something is happening too. And in the case of working with individuals as a consultant, it's also understanding the literally, like the who, the what, the where, the when, the how, yes. and applying yes. that to each individual person. Yes. So in a nutshell, I suppose that's me. Um, as I mentioned, I've wasn't, I mean, I've been in the fitness and bodybuilding community now for a very long time. Long time. Um, I have been from, I mean, before it was popular for women to lift weights all the way into today. Um, and so I've really seen the shift in the fitness industry as well over the last long time, uh, yeah. again, 15-ish years or so. Yes. Um, and I was a classical ballet dancer growing up. So I was a athlete at a very young age as well, yes. uh, part-time high school, all of that stuff. So definitely there were many reasons for why my own reproductive history went the way okay. that it did. Um, and that honestly was the scariest thing to go through as a young female being told, mm. I don't know what's wrong with you. Yeah. Um, I don't know why your voice dropped. I don't know why you are not having a regular cycle. I don't know why your immune system shut down. Wow. Let's just put you on the pill, which yeah. is actually for my doctoral work. That is the main focus is looking at hormonal um, contraceptives, but more than that, hormonal tools and strategies that have been given to women to blanket a host of reproductive health issues for the last 80 years, years but yeah, even yeah. even longer than that um, yeah. because before hormones there were other things that were given yeah. um, it was often surgeries uh, to actually remove wow. ovaries and uterus and a lot of women died in that um, so and even going back further the history of women not just women's health but the history of women is riddled with just awful taboos and misunderstanding and stereotypes and stigma and that has all contributed to where we are today with women's health yes. and why sometimes it is so hard for women to actually understand their menstrual cycles yeah. or to be able to talk about it with their practitioners openly yes. Yes. um so that's that's me in a nutshell okay so um i guess the question i was going to ask mm -hmm. you is, is about the menstrual cycle and you know we have the, the mm -hmm. usual 28 days that we're supposed yeah. to have this menstrual cycle. We've got the luteal phase, we've got the follicular phase, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but basically, what you're saying is mm. that you, in your experience, it didn't happen quite as it's supposed to be. Is that, was that Correct. what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. Correct. So, how, how, so when you went to the doctors, they said, well, for, for us to regulate this, we need to give mm -hmm. it the pill. Is that what happened? Mm -hmm. In a nutshell, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that is what happened. It was that I was on um, a hormone, hormonal contraceptive at a very young age as a dancer that was given to me to actually help regulate my menstrual cycle yes. at only two cycles in. So I had wow. just started 
puberty at the time. I also had an eating disorder. I was overtraining. And all of those things together really shifted the way that my body could actually develop as a young female. So I ended up not going through puberty properly. Um, So when I was 17 years old, I went off after about three and a half, four years on the pill. And I didn't have anything, which at that time, I didn't know that that was actually relatively normal. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say I'm good, like air quotes normal for yes. post pill use. Um, but all of a sudden I started university, stress levels were high and I moved out. Things still weren't coming. Um, and then when it did, my body just Shut broke up. down. Yeah. Uh, I ended up developing laryngitis and bronchitis and pneumonia and I was in the hospital your immune system my immune system exactly and so and it wasn't it wasn't in terms of a healthy period because Mm. it was really heavy it was long there was a lot of clotting a lot of cramping Um, I was actually like physically ill um, not only with my uh, immune system but I also was like having problems keeping food down Um, and through all of that it was so weird to me because they didn't ask me about my history. They didn't ask me about uh, when my last cycle was. They, I mean, I was tested for mono and pretty much told like, we'll just wait, you know, two weeks for the test results to come back and uh, off you go. Luckily, my mom was a nurse practitioner and she knew that something wasn't right with me. And so on we went to, I mean, numerous endocrinologists, internal medicine doctors, different specialties around things like even brain health. They thought I had a pituitary tumor. They thought that I had uh, issues with actually in my, my morphology of my reproductive axes. Um, So it was as a 17, 18 year old, and then into my 19th year, it was a lot. Um, And a A lot lot of just a lot to take on as a young girl. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, I don't know. As meanwhile, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I can fix this on my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot more complicated than that. And yes. that's really when I became, um, I guess, a seeker of answers um, and really trying to find it. Because in my own education, and, and I, I come from a very, very popular university, has one of the like world-renowned sport science programs. I didn't learn about the menstrual cycle in my work. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I went into other types of anatomy, physiology classes, I didn't learn about women's reproductive health. And if I did, it was very, very limited. And very it was cool. very, what we call myopic, very like narrow point of view, mm-hmm. X equals Y. And that why was you, really, really troubling. That is? Well, it goes back to the background, uh, even yeah. just the background of women's um, involvement in scientific research and understanding. It has been very limited over the years. Because of... He said, don't worry about it. Okay. Carry on. <laughs> it's my little dog just uh, giving it. But uh, my, my, okay. mine, mine might stop barking soon too, so don't worry. <laughs> Go on. She's going to do what she on. wants. That's all right. No down. problem. No problem. <laughs> but um, because of the history of understanding around women's bodies and women's health, um, yeah. we have been, I mean, strategically... Um, not involved in research and a lot of that actually comes back to the menstrual cycle that's considered to be too hard to study um too many confounding variables that actually would negatively impact results and i can't 
refute that in some regard because yeah, it is complicated, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that you need to strategically segregate us from scientific and medical research for the last 250 plus years. Yeah. I mean, since yeah. the origins of modern medicine. Yeah. Um, and today we're seeing a slight change, but unfortunately what's kind of come of that is now we've become almost hyper-vigilant of things without proper understanding behind it. So even within medicine, there are so many taboos that are instilled in discussions around menstruation, uh, how variables are even defined, how hormones are described. And it is, as somebody in that field, it's appalling to me, but I also can have compassion to know that it's not those researchers. It is the foundation of knowledge behind it all. Yes. yes. Um, just like when coaches or trainers don't understand, I'm like, I don't blame you guys. It, it, yeah. it's, it's a mess. Yeah. When women don't understand, I don't, there, there is, it is okay. I mean, it's not okay, but it's okay because yeah. together we can fix that um, and we can work together. And this is the point of these podcasts, you know, it's, it's to try and get as much as we can out there to help females understand it. But not just females, if coaches are listening to this, mm-hmm. they can try and get something to try and help, right? Um, mm-hmm. And again, touching a little bit on the menstrual cycle, right? So yeah. what, what are you seeing? So we've got the, the, the mm-hmm. visual the visual of this 28 days. And yeah. what, what happens when you get... What happens at the beginning? By and large is wrong. So just to know that. So yeah. I, really want to, I really want to touch on that because, yeah, you know, absolutely. You, you know the, from what I'm reading, what I've read, you know, you've got this, yeah. this, like, for example, the beginning of your period, you've got yeah. um, the fact that, you know, your, your estrogen, dominant estrogen, uh, your dominant mm-hmm. hormone is estrogen, mm-hmm. that you, your, your insulin sensitivity is high, your fuel rest is mm-hmm. carbohydrate your blood glucose is stable, your hunger is lowered, your water retention is lowered, muscle growth is increased. No, all that kind of stuff. Is that not right? Yes and no. Okay. We're talking about a very standardized menstrual cycle that most women don't Don't have. have. Yes. That's the first issue. Number two is that our understanding of hormones is actually relatively limited. Even the name endocrinology doesn't adequately describe hormone production, Mm. hormone binding, transportation in the body. So right away off the bat, we have to recognize that there is so much unknown with the menstrual cycle. Mm. There is so many myths. There are so many um, just contradictory elements in that very, I want to say, typical understanding of menstruation. In science and medicine, we have gained, like, I mean, as much as I slant them, we've also gained a lot of understanding over the last about, I want to say like 20 or so years yeah. um, from genetics and epigenetics to big data. All of this has really helped us with uh, furthering our understanding of reproduction, menstruation in the female body. Yeah. At the same time, we also have to acknowledge that something really bad is happening in women's bodies today. We're seeing rates of hormonal dysregulation, uh, infertility, PMS, Mm. fibroids, increasing rates of cancer, heavy bleeding, um, difficulties transitioning through menopause, endometriosis, so on and so forth. We're seeing so many different things happening at a higher rate than ever before in history. So 
why? What are we doing yeah. to that? And how are we furthering our it? understanding? That, I mean, that's, that's the focus of my career. Yeah. There are a lot of different influencing agents. And so that's another thing that often in conversations around menstruation get forgotten is just how many things both internal to our body influence menstruation and external to our body influence menstruation. It's not an X, Y, Z process or one, two, three. There are so many complicated feedback loops that are positive. That means so positive influence or negative shutting things off. There are so many different aspects within just our hormonal cycles mm -hmm. as well in terms of levels of estrogen or progesterone that not only alter within individuals. So my cycle and my hormones and how all of this is working is going to be different than say even my sisters, mm -hmm. but it's also different within me across my lifespan. Yes. And as, that, you get, as you change age and as you get older, as not you, just that cycle okay. to cycle is actually wow. varied. So when you look at those typical cute little diagrams, they don't account for that. When you look at people that are trying to do training programs, it doesn't account for that. Yes. Not only that is it's based on kind of a free prefabricated notion of say what estradiol does in the body at certain levels in a certain body. That is so hazardous to then be applied to a population. Yes. Um, so, I mean, just to give you an idea, because you kind of went into that, like, yeah, yeah. we have the luteal and we have the follicular, and I can walk, we can walk through that. But just to give you an idea, when you see those diagrams, typically speaking, you see um, a graph that doesn't actually have any labels on it for axes. Hmm. Number one in science, don't trust it if it's not labeled. Okay. Two, the increases that are shown aren't actually accurate to what a healthy, normal, ovulatory menstrual cycle is. Okay. Estrogen, while it does increase throughout the phase one or the follicular phase, yep. it's only about 240% above its low point. Right. And it does fall at mid-cycle, but it doesn't go completely away. It has a little tiny increase. Typically in those graphs, you see this lovely one hump and then another two hump. Yeah. And that two hump doesn't really actually happen. Okay. Not only that, progesterone increases at a rate of around, when somebody's in an ovulatory cycle, 1,400%. Wow. You don't see that increase on those little cute graphs oh, that you can Google. Mm. Um, but again, I want people to understand that this is a regular ovulatory. I mean, if all is well in the Petri dish, like yeah. it is not the normative of sorts because each of us are so unique different. and so different. And when it comes to the menstrual cycle itself, the bleed is only part of the story of it. And that's kind of one of the ways that I describe it is that it is a story. There are so many different protagonists and antagonists that are all working together to actually create a particular outcome. Mm. And often the bleed is thought to be the gold kind of seal of what it means to have a healthy cycle. And that's mm. just not the case. The bleed okay. is only part of the story. And that a period is in kind of an underlying expression of sorts of your health. It's not just about fertility. It's not just about reproduction. It's not just about hormones. It really means that when you have a regular, normal, ovulatory cycle, that everything is going as it should be inside yeah. and yeah. outside because external forces to influence okay. our 
internal. Um, and so when you're unhealthy in some way, your period is going to tell you that it's mm. part of that story. Um, and so menstrual cycles, I mean, by and large, they should not be a traumatic experience for women. They shouldn't be filled with sharp pains and heavy flooding and massive amounts of irritability that affect our daily normal life. You will still have some signs yes. that something is happening internally. Yeah. And there will be other kind of breadcrumbs that we can gather along the way. Um, but I think for me, just the biggest thing I want people to take away before I get into the nitty gritty yeah. is that a bleed is not a sign of a normal, regular ovulatory cycle. Okay. That's interesting. I, I, I always, I, I've always, I was always in the idea that that was, you know, you've come on your period, you know, everything's working regularly, everything's okay, but clearly that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So, not um, at all. so uh, you know, you mentioned there's heavy bleeding, irritability, feeling mm-hmm. rubbish. So, mm-hmm. so are we saying that if people are feeling that way in in a in an elevated level and say mm-hmm. it's really heavy bleeding, pains, mm-hmm. cramps, is that mm-hmm. maybe maybe because there's something not quite right? within their body? Yeah, correct. Okay. So we can look at, um, do I usually say to people, like, again, as a researcher, we don't just take a one-off occasion unless it is an extreme. Like yes. you are, you know, for certain, like women, we have been taught not to listen to our bodies, not to trust what our intuition is telling us. If you're cramping is like, I can't breathe or walk, mm. go to the hospital. That is not okay. Yes. But if, one month you start to experience mild cramping don't rush into anything yes see what happens the next month because every month month for women is different it's Mm -hmm. when we start to see patterns emerging and that really has to be tracked um and so one of the things that i'll get into maybe after we talk about the menstrual cycle and the ins and outs is what can we actually do and and tracking is a huge 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 piece of it but tracking for the right signs yes that's one thing that people forget they only look for the bleed um i have a a saying if you're guessing you're messing Uh, which a lot of a a lot of people in every aspect of life they they go about life guessing yeah they don't don't know so if you're not tracking stuff how how can you make a decision you can't yeah that's how I see yeah. it. And it's the same, obviously, for the menstrual cycle, clearly. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't want it to be, you know, crippling for us to have to actually track. Mm. It's where that comes from is when we get kind of hyper-focused. Um, it's often because we don't understand. But yes. when we begin to understand, it allows us to have a lot more freedom in watching out for certain signs and symptoms. Sometimes it's a learning curve, no different than when you were in school learning about, say, the alphabet or how to do math. Yeah. Uh, it was a little bit difficult at the beginning, but then after a while, you could add in your head. You could it read did. in your head. Yeah. yeah, it's the same thing with tracking for certain biomarkers, but we have to actually understand what those biomarkers mean, mean what they course. represent, in order to not only make it actually useful, but to make it easier on us too. Yeah. But there is a kind of a learning curve with that, that I just always like to get out there for women, because at first, they're often like, oh my God, this is such a pain. And I'm like, hang in there. Mm. This is education. Yes. It will come. And you're not only educating about the normal kind of menstrual cycle, but you're learning your own body. Yes. And to me, that's the most important piece of what my work is. And it's not just for women, it is for men too, is that we have to learn our bodies. We have to be 
have an awareness acutely of what's actually happening and to be comfortable with not knowing because none of us are experts. The human body is like space. We know so little Little. about it. Yeah. We know a couple things. Yeah. You know, but not as much as people tote. Yeah. I think because not a lot. Things change so quickly, don't they, on a a daily basis. Yeah. So this is why it's tough to to actually know everything. I totally understand. Totally get it. Yeah. Not only that, it's it's also where when research is conducted, often we look to previous research to help us develop an understanding for our study at hand. Mm. What happens when that previous research is either not there or really crappy? Yes, true. And that's with women's health. Yes. It's either not there. Or, or it's really, really crappy. Yeah. Um, or it's, I mean, it's built on um, assumptions. It's got just not great, even, I mean, that's one of the things I do is in my work is I not only look at what research it's based on, but then what research that's been based on and that's been based on and that's been based on. I go mm-hmm. to the, the origin story of sorts. Yes. Yes. Um, and for the menstrual cycle, it really is a complicated story, but it's one that's actually, in terms of our contemporary understanding, it's relatively new. We mm. only started to develop an understanding of endocrine system or the hormonal regulation of the reproductive cycle in about the 1920s to 1930s. That's when we really started to get a grasp on it. Mm. That's not that long ago. Oh. I mean, the word hormone didn't come to be until the, I mean, about... 1903 to 1908 was when that was a suddenly a thing before that we looked at um it was less about the actual chemical itself and it was more looking at the glands so we knew that the ovaries existed and that they had an impact in menstruation and reproduction we know that women had uteruses and that impacted menstruation and reproduction but we didn't understand that there was little chemicals getting released and sent that's only been a more recent phenomenon because there are people still alive today that didn't they were born in a time that we didn't have that understanding yeah yeah Um, and that's really important to remember is that this is such a new field and it's developing at a relatively fast pace in terms of like science scientific discovery but there's still a lot to be learned so I think that's my big caveat my big takeaway for people on this kind of before I go into the x y and z of the cycle is to know that what I'm going to say today might change in time it is also just a summary of some very very complicated processes that even as a researcher yeah I don't totally understand to a T and if somebody says that they do they lie run yes because they don't yeah um, it's, still, it's just so hard to understand right so it's, it's impossible anything in the body is but yeah. with this in particular and right now I feel that there's a lot of snake oiled salesmen and charlatans selling women false hope and that is so unethical because it just is so much more complicated than that yeah fair that's that's good to know it's good to know yeah so do you want me to get into the x y's and z let's go let's go all right so um one of the first things to remember is that like i said menstruation is more than just periods it's a rhythmic change of the kind of reproductive cycle, but it influences different systems outside of our reproductive axes. And the hormones I'm gonna talk about, they're not just for reproduction and menstruation. Estrogen, for example, I mean, it does over 400 things in the body. So to think that it's only kind of the reproductive or the sex hormone is actually an incorrect name. The name sex hormone 
it's not right. It's incorrect. Yeah. Um, and the association of things like secondary sex characteristics is actually incorrect. So the, the hormones change throughout the duration of the menstrual cycle. The changes we experience are largely due to these changes in hormones throughout the menstrual cycle. These include things like estradiol, which is a form of estrogen. There's actually several forms of estrogen. Hmm. Um, but sometimes we do use the word just estrogen to discuss estradiol. Right. It includes progesterone. And progesterone and estrogen, they're like yin and yang. Yeah. They help to really balance each other out. Um, follicular stimulating hormone are FSH and LH. But we also have androgens. I mean, testosterone is doing different things throughout the cycle. Mm. Something called sex hormone binding globulin, it's doing different things throughout the cycle. Even our thyroid hormones are doing different things throughout the cycle. And mm. there are other things outside of the endocrine system as well that are also changing. Mm. So while I am going to focus mostly on hormone shifts, remember that there's more to it than just that. Cool. Um, and that the levels of hormones are only one piece of it. Often people, when they, uh, you know, they start looking at the menstrual cycle or hormonal imbalance, they go, well, do I have high estrogen or low estrogen? And I'm like, well, it's actually a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. Hormones, especially estrogen and progesterone, like I said, they're yin and yang. It's the ratios that we have to look at. It's yeah. also how these hormones are being transported, how they're being metabolized and excreted out of the body, all of these things matter. So when we go and get like a serum lab test, we have to remember that is such a, like I said about the story, that's such mm -hmm. a small minor piece of our story. Yeah. Um, so my, my overarching summary of what these hormones are actually doing though, when it comes yeah. to menstruation is, and then I'm gonna go into this in more depth, but so this is my cliff notes. Cool. You grow follicles, which are fluid filled, sacs containing eggs, and these are in the ovaries. You release an egg, which is the process that we associate with ovulation. Yep. And the third is the growth and the shedding of the uterine lining, which is the bleed. Yes. Yeah, that is menstruation. But all of these in order to actually happen is a complex interplay of different physiological processes, feedback loops. Uh, we're also working with our neuroendocrine system. So our brain is involved and our neurotransmitters are involved as well. Mm. And the hormones that are this complicated interplay of sorts, we can divide it into different phases, as you mentioned, luteal and follicular. But yep. we have to also remember that is the ovarian cycle. There is at the same time a uterine cycle. Right. The ovarian cycle and the uterine cycle, they're happening together and they work together to yeah. create the outcome. And when we look at something like the follicular phase or the luteal phase, that's only looking at the ovarian cycle. So again, if somebody is building a program or giving a protocol based off of just a follicular and luteal understanding, it is incorrect. Mm. It is not looked at the second half of it or the second part of it, the partnership yes. that exists yes. between the two. Um, so the healthy menstrual cycle does, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, the scientist in me always goes like, oh, Victoria, you're diluting it. But then the <laughs> practitioner in me goes, well, that's how we can actually create applicable information for yeah. an individual and for educators. Has, otherwise people will never so, understand it, right? Exactly. So we've got to yeah. break, break it down a little bit. Yeah. So with that healthy menstrual cycle, we've got those two different phases, um, the ovarian 
I'm going to go through first uh, at the, and then I'm sort of go ovarian cool. and then follicular for each phase, and right. also talk about like the intermission in the middle because that's also a very important part that yep. gets forgotten. Um, the menstrual cycle itself starts with the period. It's the bleed, and then shedding of blood and endometrium or the lining of the uterus happens through the cervix and the vagina, um, and then that acts or lasts for. I mean anywhere between one to eight days, average about five to six. Mm. And its duration, its uh, amount is going to vary between individuals and also within individuals. Uh, one cycle will not be the same as the next. But yes. day one, if you are counting, it's the first day of your bleed. Yeah. At this time, our levels of estradiol and progesterone are low. And I'm going to explain why that is the case. Okay. Um, it's that's when they're kind of in their little intermission before they start to go back into the cycle. Mm. Um, and this is important for when we are doing things like lab work, because we actually have to make sure our lab work is timed appropriately yes. to be able to create valid res uh, results. If we don't do it at the right time, it's like for me as a researcher, it's a null and void. I don't yes. know what that means. Yeah. Um, so in phase one, we have our ovarian follicular cycle. At the same time, we have our uterine proliferative cycle or phase. The follicular phase, it is the time between the first day of the period and ovulation, which happens at mid-cycle. What happens is there's signals from the brain that tells the ovaries to prepare an egg that's going to get released. Mm -hmm. The pituitary gland, well, actually, sorry, the hypothalamus, hypothalamus sends signals. Yeah sends them to the pituitary, the pituitary sends signals to release FSH, and that is the follicular stimulating hormone, to the ovaries to prepare the egg. Throughout the development of the menstrual cycle though, it's important to know that it's not just one egg happening, there's actually multiple follicles mm -hmm. or fluid-filled sacs that contain eggs in each ovary at different stages of development. Mm -hmm. The largest one we call the dominant, and this is the one that actually gets released. The dominant follicle, it produces estrogen as it grows, which is why estrogen is higher in the first half of the right. cycle because it's coming from that follicle. Mm. Estrogen rises as the egg prepares to be released. And this follicular phase actually varies cycle to cycle. It's very dynamic. It is very fluid. Um, it's the second phase that's a little bit more... A little bit, and, and I gotta say this again with a grain of salt, it can be a little bit more regular length and time or duration, but the follicular is very, very um, dynamic. In the uterine cycle or the proliferative phase, what's happening is that after that you have your period, your uterine lining begins to build back up again. And it's doing this while the ovaries are working on developing that egg containing follicles. The uterus responds to the estrogen that's being made by the follicles, and this actually helps it to rebuild the lining. Yep. The uterine does this to actually create a place that that potential egg, when it gets fertilized, which is pregnancy or conception, yes. it has a place to grow and get implanted. Yep. And this proliferative phase occurs until ovulation. So that's what's happening in kind of that first half of the cycle. We have two things that are happening and they work together. Estrogen, it is our dominant hormone um, that is being 
produced at that site of the ovary. Yeah. By mid-cycle, though, things start to shift. Yeah. So ovulation is the center point. It's the border between our first phase and our second, second phase. phase. Yeah. Exactly. And so with ovulation, this is when the egg gets released from the ovary into the fallopian tube. And when estrogen levels are high enough, it sends a signal to the brain that causes a dramatic shift in something called LH or the luteinizing hormone. And LH then sends its signals, estrogen then starts to, so it's peak, it drops back down. When it happens is it, that spike causes ovulation, which releases the egg from the ovary. This process does not happen in every single cycle properly. Right. And what happens when it doesn't happen properly is we have an anovulatory cycle, which I will get into in depth because it's okay. so critical. Yeah. Um, but the second half cycle then is not going to be identical to what I am about to explain. Fine. Okay. So with the phase two now, we're in looking at the luteal phase and that's occurring in the ovarian cycle. With the ovarian cycle in the luteal phase, this occurs after ovulation to the time of the next period or the yes. period that we're, we're working on, working to you know, signal the next cycle. Yep. Um, but it does, it does vary in length. Um, it's often too when things go bump, when things aren't necessarily normative, this yep. luteal phase can be extended or shortened. Mm -hmm. And that actually has our impact on how much progesterone our body can make. Um, the body, it, the whole kind of premise behind this is that if ovulation has occurred, the follicle that contains that egg transforms into something called the corpus luteum. The sac now that contains the egg starts to produce progesterone and a little bit of estrogen as well, which is why mm. we see a small little increase there. Yes. Um, but progesterone is the big one. And progesterone Definitely. will peak about halfway through your luteal phase when it is actually created. Um, yeah. If the egg isn't fertilized through conception, then we don't have pregnancy. If the egg is fertilized through conception, no, we will have pregnancy when there is an ovulatory cycle, by and large, for the most part. Um, when fertilization, fertilization does not occur, the corpus luteum begins to break down about 9, 10, 11, around that days after ovulation. And this actually then signals the drop in estrogen and progesterone. That drop in estrogen and progesterone cause menstruation or the bleed. Mm. And the hormonal changes that we have in this part of the cycle typically are associated with the PMS symptoms, yes. and that can be due to the progesterone and the actual balance or ratio between estrogen and progesterone in that phase of our cycle. Cool. At the level of the uterus, though, we have what's called the um, secretory, secretory, secretory <laughs> phase. I mean, tongue-tied all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> secretory phase, the uterine lining, it produces chemicals that either will support pregnancy or prepare the, the lining to actually break down if we don't get mm -hmm. fertilized. Um, and that rise in progesterone causes our endometrium to stop thickening, which is actually why having regular ovulatory cycles is so important for our endometrial health. Because if we don't, we keep getting thicker and thicker and thicker, and that yep. can lead to really um, serious problems. Yes. And the endometrium 
one of the other reasons why this phase is really, really important is because, I mean, the whole reason why we're calling like it's, it's a secretory phase, it's secreting certain chemicals and releasing them. And there's lots of different ones, but they include something called a prostaglandin. A prostaglandin is what's responsible for cramping. So when somebody experiences cramping, typically it's during the second half. It's not always, but typically, and that is due to prostaglandins. And there actually are some really easy ways to help with that. Okay. Um, the drop in hormones, though, along with the effect of prostaglandins, they cause this constriction of the blood vessels, which then cause the endometrium to break down. Mm -hmm. And then menstruation begins and the whole cycle starts over again. again. Yeah. Exactly. So I hope that kind of demonstrates just yeah. how complicated this very, all is. Very much. And, and that's a simplified version, right? It is. Yeah. That, that honestly, it, uh, it's harder for me sometimes to write summary. I can imagine. <laughs> than yeah. It's harder to write the scientific version of it because there's just, there's so many different complicated feedback loops happening. I mean, I didn't touch on testosterone or androgen levels. I didn't touch on what's happening at the, say the adrenals or with the thyroid. Like I looked at only those two yes. different pieces of the yes. ovaries and the endometrium. Um, but for, for me professionally and personally, um, it's really helping people to get a, an idea that ovulation is so important. It is so important to our reproductive health and beyond. Yeah. If we don't ovulate, we don't create the progesterone our body needs. And this impacts our bones. It impacts our heart, our metabolism, our sleep quality, our thyroid, our mental health, and so many other things. Yeah. And that process, well, it does play an important role in fertility. I mean, that's often when um, fertility treatments are focused on. Mm. We have to remember all of the other things. So when women go, oh, it's fine. I haven't ovulated. It's like, well, oh, no, actually it's not. It, uh, that over time, you know, you're, another big, I guess, misconception is that women aren't going to have an ovulatory cycle every single time they have their menstrual cycle. Yes. That's okay. Yes. That is a-okay. That's totally normal. It's yes. when it's become prolonged, AKA more than three months in a row, you're not having a regular ovulatory cycle. Some individuals have a really hard time having an ovulatory cycle. And the reason mm -hmm. is so much goes into ovulating. Like I did that little baby cute summary, but so much goes into, it. goes into it. It can get thrown off like a light switch. Mm. Something so simple, whether it's happening internal to our body or external to our body. One of the biggest things that throw it off is stress, yes. whether that's financial stress, whether that yeah. is emotional stress, whether it is coming from workplace or whatever it might be. It is so easy. And why? Because all of this coordination that is happening is happening between the brain and our ovaries, yes. our brain is involved in it. Mm. Signals are being sent. So when people try and it's like, I, I'm, I mean, you cannot cut your head off. You are not a chicken. You of will not course. survive. Yes. We can't do that when we look at menstruation either. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I can say over the last decade of working with women, um, the number one thing that's causing stress. a lot of these issues is stress emotional stress. We have physical stress too. Yes. I mean, if somebody um, has some type of uh, abnormality, which I'll get into that, but there's other things internally that can throw these off that are non 
quote, again, reproductive related. Mm -hmm. And there's also non-hormonal reasons as well that do still influence our, and and are kind of inherent to our reproductive system. But in our lifespan, we have different, I mean, we have different rough estimates, depends on the individual, depends on personal life factors, but some people believe it's around 400 times, but again, not everybody is going to ovulate 400 times in their lifespan. Yes. And this gets influenced by things like contraceptives. The whole goal of contraceptives is to stop this from happening. Hormonal contraceptives, mm. stop ovulation. If you stop ovulation, you can't have fertilization of the of egg. Course, of course. Um, other things that also influence this is pregnancy. I mean, you're not ovulating when you're pregnant and typically not right away postpartum either. Mm. So if you've say had three kids, that's going to reduce the total amount of time that you've ovulated in your life course. Of course. Um, health stress, uh, status um, of just your general life. Uh, these are all things that influence it actually. Can I just take down the point that yeah. you mentioned on that? So yeah. ovulation is the most important thing, right? Within a, men, a woman's menstrual cycle. No, I don't want to single it out. It's okay, very, but very, very important. <laughs> so it, we know, like for example, yeah. you mentioned yourself, you had the same experience. My yeah. wife at the age of 14 was put on, on the pill mm-hmm. yeah. to, reg- to regulate her periods. Yeah. And, and obviously that's stopping that ovulation from happening for yeah. many, many, many years. Absolutely. That surely can't be a good thing, right? Correct. So yeah, the not pill, at all. Apart, the pill apart from stopping you from getting pregnant is pretty much yeah. rubbish would you say i mean it's it's castration at the end of the day wow um you are shutting down a critical process in your body that is stopping your body from doing physiological processes that it needs to be healthy short-term use it's okay i don't mean there i don't want to say it's okay it's you know it's it's not benign. How about yes. that? Even short-term use is not benign. There's still wow. going to be complications and there's ways that you can manage it. Yeah. I mean, we talk about like in today's world, people know if you go on a statin for high cholesterol, you should take coenzyme Q10. You know, pharmacies are actually even recommending this now because you leach that through being yeah. on a statin. I mean, there's other things too, but yeah. that those, those conversations around being on the pill, for example, or other types of hormonal contraceptives, whether that's the hormonal IUD or the implant or the patch, there are things that we can do to make it healthier. I am pro-choice. I am a diehard feminist. I'm not going to go to tell somebody that they can't go on the pill or that it's wrong or it's bad, but they need to understand there is risk involved and that we can do things to help with that risk. Is that the same thing with a coil? Correct. Yeah. Any of those. And and so there's hormonal and non-hormonal. So Uh the coil... Uh, the copper IUD is considered to be non-hormonal, but it still impacts your hormones. Again, total misunderstanding for people to think that that's not because you're causing localized inflammation. That yes. localized inflammation, as we just learned, prostaglandins are inflammation signals. It's going to have an impact. Um, and so with, with ovulation, one of the reasons why too, when like, I know when we were communicating back and forth before the show and you had mentioned that there were some specific kind of points that you wanted to cover. And I was yeah, like, yeah. wait a second, we got to talk about there. this because we're yeah. talking about the menstrual cycle, right? Mm-hmm. There, that's that story. Yes. But we have to put this in the context of a woman's reproductive life cycle. We, our life cycle actually begins before we're even born. It happens Mm -hmm. with that fertilization. That is the beginning of our life as we know it. And that 
is the end of our physical body, our physical health and life. Um, I mean, spiritually, there's other things beyond, but we have this period of time for women and for men, but because we're talking about women, there are some certain important periods that happen in our specific reproductive lifespan that help to, um, they also act as like signposts of sorts of um, little markers on our map that are, we need to make sure they, they happen. Mm. Uh, one of them is puberty. That's the start. And yeah menopause is considered yeah. to be the end yeah puberty happens actually you know things start before we actually get our first bleed but that first bleed is menarche it signals the beginning of our reproductive life cycle yeah. it's almost like the beginning of a song it's the song gets started and at the beginning it's not going to be pretty your yeah. body has no idea what What's it is doing on? it's not yeah. just your hypothalamus pituitary ovarian axes it's influencing everything yeah. and so after though we continue to develop our reproductive um axes things should get smoother but it is a really big misunderstanding that women should have i mean awesome ovulatory periods at say 14 years old after yeah. only having three cycles it ain't gonna happen nah. it takes time and it takes the right circumstances the right ingredients mm. just like if you were to um you know have us like my metaphor of the song if you were to try to make a smash hit without a singer yeah it might not make the top 40s of course right of course. yes makes you've got to have these critical ingredients involved mm. and then that period of going through um kind of that reproductive development mirrors our end which is perimetopause perimetopause happens as our reproductive life cycle is beginning to come to a close menopause happens one year after our last bleed often people call that period of time of like hot flashes and mood yeah. swings menopause but that's actually the wrong language it's perimetopause okay. and perimetopause it can happen for i mean five, eight, 10 years. It's, there's mm. a big duration in time, yes. just like puberty yes. can happen for yes. a mixed amount of time Yes, in the middle. And that's really, when I talk about that menstrual cycle I just did, that's what's the middle. That's our reproductive prime. Mm. That is when our body is in a place to healthy, in a healthy way, make babies. But yes. not only that, lay the groundwork for healthy physiological function. That's yes. not only going to serve us today, but in the future too, Be yes. exactly. Because when we're going through perimetopause, we're not making hormones or reproductive hormones at the same rate anymore. Yes. We're not, and there's going to become a time that you're not making them, aka menopause. Mm. So, and because we know there's implications for things like our cardiac or our bone health, we've mm. got to make sure that we are going through these certain checkpoints. Yes. Um, and so that looking and thinking about conceptualizing menstruation in more of this reproductive life cycle is really, really important when we look at somebody like an individual's menstrual cycle health. Because if we don't, we fail to look at where they came from yes. and where are they going. Hmm. If they were, say, put on the pill at a young age, that would have potentially impact. impacted. Exactly. Um, you know, if somebody comes to me and they've got... Uh, an anovulatory cycle that's you know happening quite frequently or no cycle at all 
you have to look at that. You also have to look at even if they did say they weren't put on the pill, but they were under an immense amount of stress during puberty. That's going to impact the ways in which their body developed. Mm. Um, and all of these are interconnected. I mean, it's the it's a giant knot that it's hard just to kind of pick one variable. Yes. And so these all, all of these things matter. And of that course. when we're in our reproductive prime, so that's, let's just say, again, hypothetically around 19, 18, 19 to 45 years old, mm. during that period of time, things still will go bump. There might be dry spells that you're not bleeding. Mm. There might be periods of time that you're going to have more frequent regular anovulatory cycles versus ovulatory cycles. Mm. There may be time that you have heavier cramps. The important thing is you have to track to know that because if you don't, you're just guessing. You're, yeah. you're, you're guessing at what's happening. Yes. And that younger women are going to be more likely to have anovulatory cycles as well as during perimetopause. That's, that's, is quite likely. Similarly, after being on the pill, after being pregnant, after mm -hmm. going through any type of physical or emotional stress, anovulatory yeah. cycles are quite common. Yes. It's when these things become habitual. That's kind of like you stay up late one night, that's okay. But if you start staying up every late night? every single night, yeah. that's when we start to get into a problem. Absolutely. And so when we look at that kind of that period of time, where we are, I mean, where I am right now, mm -hmm. it's vital to what's going to come later on in life. And I'm just going to use the example as bones. Mm. Women have high rates of osteoporosis. Osteoporosis, well, it does involve other factors than just hormones. Our hormones play a critical role. Mm. Estrogen and progesterone are vital to the development of our bones, not only today, but later on in life as well. If we start having anovulatory cycles, we stop making the progesterone our bones need to be able to be preserved. Yes. We're still making them, but we're not preserving them because that's mm. what our estrogen and progesterone um, balance is doing. So what happens if I spend most of my life not having an ovulatory cycle? I'm opening myself up for future risk of osteoporosis, yes. even if I'm doing weight-bearing exercise, um, doing other variables or taking other variables that may help with bone health, like vitamin D and K and calcium. Yes, yes. My risk factor is much, much higher. And that to me, personally, actually in my own life, my mom had very, very, very crappy bone density. I have very crappy bone density. So right now where I'm at in my thirties, I'm going like, this is my time to make my bones. Like yes, yes. I don't have a lot of options left. Yes. I got it. I got about 10 years if that. Mm. So I need to really, really make sure I'm having these regular auditory cycles. Um, so yeah, so that, I mean, that is in a nutshell, yeah. some of the things that can happen. Yeah. Um, I think too, to remember that even with ovulation, you can have low levels of progesterone and you can have an imbalance happening. Mm. So they're called silent ovulatory disturbances. And that's when even if you ovulate, you might have high progesterone, or pardon me, too high progesterone or too low progesterone. Mm. You might have a shortened or uh, reduced length luteal phase, which then doesn't allow you to get that proper peak. Yeah. Um, or you can also have... Um, and auditory cycles, which then is a sign that you're not making that progesterone. Yeah. If you're not making that progesterone, you're not having it in balance with estrogen. Yes. Estrogen imbalance to progesterone 
over time can cause significant issues to numerous other systems in our body and our reproductive system itself. Yeah. I mean, all the way from thickening our endometrium to beginning to, because estrogen really does, I mean, our hormones affect everything, 400 different things mm. for estrogen plus. Our thyroid health, yes. our me metabolic health, yeah. our inflammation. Yeah. Um, and so, the, I mean, I wish I could do away with the term estrogen dominance because it's not yeah. that simple <laughs> as I hopefully just explained. Yes, yes. Um, and that fixing or improving these is not that simple. simple. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, let me ask you a question. Maybe a, maybe, mm -hmm. a, maybe a stupid question. Um, if someone doesn't, there are no stupid questions. <laughs> if, if someone doesn't ovulate, will they yeah. not bleed or will they still bleed? Yeah. So if you don't ovulate, sometimes you will still bleed. Okay. And that's, yeah. so how, how would a woman know whether they've ovulated or yeah. not? Yeah. So there's a couple different kind of core things. One of the most important things is actually tracking your basal temperature. Progesterone is, it, it's a thermo has a thermal regulatory effect on the body, which means it actually increases our basal metabolic temperature. Um, and by doing that, it's, um, I mean, I don't, don't just go out and take your temperature at any point in the day. You gotta do it like an experiment. Yes. So it's first thing in the morning, you have your thermometer not right underneath a cold air outlet vent. Yes. Um, you aren't drinking anything or taking any medication right away. You're trying to do it approximately at the same time every single morning. Um, you're getting a sensitive thermometer. Uh, it can be oral or it could be vaginal. Um, sometimes rectal does also, for some individuals, gives them more accurate. And in individuals that say have thyroid issues, it does take a little bit more finesse to get an understanding because the thyroid is also really important to our body temperature. Have they and taken that temperature meds. at a certain time within the menstrual cycle? Yeah, or? all throughout. From, so from day one to, day, to, la to last all day? All the way through, and you gotta do it for at least three months to be able to get a proper understanding. One month okay. isn't gonna do it for you. Fair enough. So, you're going to see an increase though in temperature after ovulation. Okay. Um, so your temperature will rise and it's, it's different in everybody, but you will see a, a rise of at least uh, it's a minor two. That's why you have to get an, uh, a more sensitive thermometer. So at least yes. one decimal point. Um, and uh, is, is there any yeah. thermometers you, you recommend that are more accurate? Yeah. So go on Amazon. Yeah look at either basal temperature thermometers or fertility thermometers. Okay. Um, the fertility ones, it's often, it's funny, I have to laugh because I'm like, oh my God, they're pink and they're selling them for like $20 more. Yeah. Um, but also if you go to a medical supply store and you ask for a highly sensitive thermometer, they're going to have ones that are calibrated typically just a little bit better than like your $10 one. Okay. Um, it's usually between, I mean, USD pounds, yeah. we're looking at about like 20 to $30 range. Um, so it's not too bad. And uh, it is that tracking though, that is so important. So when women go, oh, I'm using an app to track my menstrual cycle. I'm like, uh, you're probably not taking your basal temperature. Mm. Um, there are different devices these days from uh, certain apps that work with watches and the watch is taking yes. it. Yes. Simple. Simple. simple yeah there's a reason why in in medicine we have stayed in the you know 20th century for this yes. stuff it's because yes. simple works yes and uh there's a just a little bit greater 
uh, potential reliability on our findings. Um, another thing that is also really, really important to do is just to track certain signs of hormonal fluctuations. We know the neuroendocrine system and the, the rhythm of menstruation impacts our body in innumerable ways. Changes in our hair, our skin, our bowel movements, uh, symptoms that are maybe associated with chronic disease, mental health, sex from lubrication to sensitivity to pain, headaches to hunger. I mean, there's so many different things mm. that do okay. change in our body in a rhythmic way. Cervical mucus is a, also a really great marker, but yeah. cervical mucus doesn't mean the same thing as like vaginal lubrication with stimulation sexually. Mm -hmm. um, it also doesn't mean discharge that you get because you have, say, a fungal or bacterial infection. And it also doesn't mean what happens typically in women after they work out, which is just vaginal secretions. Yes. So it's actually getting a better understanding of cervical mucus and how it changes. At ovulation, it's often a, an egg-white consistency. Mm. Before ovulation, when estrogen rises, it's often a very sticky um, that you can literally put it between your fingers and stretch it. The more okay. stretchier it is, it actually corresponds with levels of estrogen. Fun mm. fact, you can use that to help you better understand where wow. estrogen is. Um, there's also gummy bear consistency that can happen, uh, which are like little clumpies. And so each of these different things do actually represent different levels potentially of what our hormones are doing in our body mm. in conjunction with our basal temp and in conjunction with our symptom tracking because different symptoms happen usually in correspondence or connection to certain types of fluctuations with our hormones yes. if we look at all of these things together it for at least three months yes. we should be doing it i mean ongoing yes. but uh it gives us huge clues yes. as to what our menstrual cycle is doing, doing. so it's not enough to ask, am I bleeding or not? Mm. You need to know whether or not you're ovulating to know if you're having a regular, healthy ovulatory menstrual cycle. You still should track your bleeding. You should still track the, the heaviness or the flow yeah. uh, consistency, whether or not you're clotting, how many days if you're having mid-cycle spotting or bleeding. Um, also, just the general timeline, the regularity of it. Uh, PMS symptoms or cramping or mood swing energy levels. Um, and then of course the, the big ovulation question, that's, that's huge. Yeah. In athletes, I do track other symptoms as well, because that then when people, you know, the big thing right now is training for menstruation. I'm like, you can't fucking do that unless you track the individual. Mm -hmm. And even then you can't do it, but it yeah. does give us some clues as yeah. to like, how is your training? Mm influence because for me as a researcher that's data than uncharted territory mm -hmm. um often we focus so much on our hormonal levels but let me tell you as a woman with reproductive uh, health derailments yeah. it is not fun to squat when your uterus feels like it is massive mm. you have no pelvic floor strength when yeah. you are engorged with inflammation yes and so, male coaches don't always understand that, unfortunately. Yeah, and women don't understand that because they don't understand what's actually happening in their bodies themselves. They're going, oh, well, I'm bloated. Well, why? Is it because you haven't pooped? Because you're dehydrated? Because progesterone has just increased your body temperature, which means that you are actually needing to drink more water mm -hmm. to help with regular digestion. Yes. Um, and also to reduce the likelihood of retaining fluid. Mm. When the body gets dehydrated, it holds on to fluid. That's what yes. it does. It's yes. the antidiuretic hormone feedback loop. Absolutely. Um, 
And so the, the tracking for me is really, really important. And it doesn't matter where you are in your reproductive timeline. Some women will be like, oh, I'm going perimenopause now. And I'm like, you need to track because yes. it still gives us clues. It also helps us from a diagnostic standpoint too, as to when we do things like lab tests or dipstick tests. So there are obligatory screening that you can actually get from like a drugstore. It's a pee stick, but it doesn't work for everybody, especially those with say hyperandrogenism. It's not going to work or high androgens. Um, also depending on your fluid intake and they're just highly inaccurate. So if mm. you do those, take it with a grain of salt. Yes. Um, has to be timed at the proper intervals. There's no point checking your progesterone in follicular phase. Yes. If you're looking for ovulatory, there's other circumstances that you would, but if yeah. you're looking to see if you have a regular ovulatory cycle, you got to do it at the right timed interval. Yeah. Uh, likewise, if you're trying to see where your estrogen levels are, you shouldn't be necessarily relying on data you're getting from your luteal phase to yes. determine that. Yes. Um, because we know that estrogen is higher in the first half of yes. the cycle. FSH and LH are two critical markers that often get missed when people are doing any type of reproductive um, health screening. Mm -hmm. Likewise, SHBG, testosterone, DHEA, um, those are also very, very important clues. Yeah. And that even when we have certain levels in like our lab work, that's a snapshot in time. That's a single day. It's going to change. Yes, it's yes. going to change not only within that day, but across the duration of our cycle itself. Well, I, I think one of the biggest things that you obviously the key for women going forward mm -hmm. listening to this is you need to be tracking every single mm -hmm. thing. So you start with your temperature mm -hmm. every single day mm -hmm. and yeah. then, and then basically just how are you feeling? Yeah. Throughout. So how, how long, yeah. how long were you in your period for? You get yeah. cramps. If you're getting cramps, how yeah. bad are those cramps? And then yeah. making sure they're writing everything down. Yeah. And I'll send you um, a link to uh, it's a very basic, basic way to do it. It's actually yeah. a great teaching tool. Um, it's all based off of research itself. Uh, there are, like I said, there are apps available, but if you are going to use an app, I would recommend that there is a spot for you to do your basal temp yeah. and also a spot for you to do extra notes because sometimes what you're feeling and experiencing doesn't fit into these cute little check boxes. Yes, yes. Um, I often recommend people just get a calendar, like get, go out, get a date book. Yeah. And just write in right that the... date book by yeah. hand. And, and that's something that as you start to understand what to look out for, like breast pain, breast pain on the nipple front area signals something differently than breast pain on the side of your breast. Right. Wow. So keep an eye out for this stuff. And if you don't experience any breast pain, that's not, that, that's, I mean, that's just maybe you and your body. But if out of the blue, all of a sudden you're starting to experience breast pain, You've got to record that. You've got to record yeah. when you're experiencing this too. And the, the thing I'll send you, it does give you kind of some, uh, like a legend of sorts of what some of these things mean and how to oh, actually good. accurately look for them and test for them. And, and again, again, I mean, the bleed for me, it's like a huge misunderstanding is that bleeding from your um, vagina happens just because your menstruation cycle. There are mm -hmm. other reasons why you bleed. Okay. Um, and so one of the really important things that women need to make sure that they're doing are things like regular pap smears and STD screening, uh, STDs, pelvic inflammatory, uh, increased uterine thickness. These are all things that can influence our bleed, like the ability and, and uh, impact of bleeding. Also things like, um, atropic, uh, atropic, pardon me, 
vaginitis, which is the dryness uh, or thinning around, especially perimetopause, that can also cause bleeding. Mm. And the bleeding might not be happening every 28 days, but mm. if you're bleeding, say every day 10, and then again, uh, eight days later, that it, that's not your period every single time. Yes, um, of course. So you've got to begin to track that to understand it. Yes. Um, endometrial hyperplasia, like I mentioned, infections, so yeast, uh, UTIs, bacterial, those can also impact it. And then some individuals do get bleeding with sex. And that's something that's really important to actually note because that's not necessarily okay. Mm. And you want to look into that further. Um, there are other things too. Like I can mention anemia is going to impact this uh, thyroid issues. So hyper or hypo and medication, especially if you are over medicating for hypo, you may actually have a period of time um, when you are especially starting the medication that you're going to be irregular because your hypothalamus pituitary ovarian axes, mm -hmm. and then it's your hypothalamus pituitary thyroid axes. The pituitary is involved with both of those. And by taking medication, yeah. you're actually influencing your pituitary gland. Wow. Um, certain types of nutrient deficiencies, clotting or hematological issues, certain genetic variants. So for example, the BRCA um, one and two genes, which are connected to breast cancer, we now have a better understanding that they may also influence estrogen metabolism at certain points in your reproductive life cycle. Yes. That will in turn influence your body's ability to have a regular ovulatory or just regular menstrual cycle, mm. um, if you especially are in perimetopause. Structural issues as well. I mean, cervical polyps, fibroids, uh, adenomyosis, endometriosis, things like C-sections and other types of pelvic floor health, even just really tight hypertonic pelvic floors will influence your ability and affinity to have a regular healthy ovulatory menstrual cycle that is not ridden with things like heavy flow and cramping. Um, and then things like our hysterectomies, our ooectomies, our tubal ligations. Even if you have experienced any of these, I still recommend that you track for normal signs and triggers throughout your reproductive timeline, because even if you've had, say, your ovaries taken out and your endometrium taken out, your body is still going to try to go through mm. perimetopause because yeah. it's not just happening there. Remember, it's our brain is yeah. involved and other tissues in our body are involved yeah. as well. Yeah, you know this link that you said you were going to send me? Yeah. Is there a different symptom? So if they gain, for example, yeah. heavy bleeding or they gain bloating yeah. or they gain, like you said, a pain in the front of the breast, yeah. or side of the breast. Yeah. Does it tell them? Is that all on there? And it can, does it tell them what they can do to try and help themselves? No. So that's something that's so individual to the person, right? Of course. And yeah. Also, sometimes, like I mentioned, not everything is pathological, mm. meaning that not everything you experience needs to be treated, and yeah. also how long it's happening for. Mm. If somebody has cramps one month, it's okay. I'm often like, let's just come back and okay. see where we're at. If that's happening repeatedly, and if that is having a negative impact on your overall health and well-being, we need to we need to work on that. Yes. It also can signal that there might be something happening with our endometrium. We need to work on that, and that might also be further diagnostics, such as getting an um, a uterine ultrasound to actually see if we're dealing with something structural. Things like endometriosis can potentially cause cramping, uh, fibroids, or even different types of cysts. There's multiple different types of cysts. Okay, can and I so just we have, yeah? Can I stop you on that one? So yeah. let's, say, let's say, for example, someone's listening to us. 
and they're going to mm-hmm. track they're going to track it and in three yeah. months time they realize there's all of the things are happening yeah and they go right okay I, i'm seeing a pattern here i'm going to go to yeah. my my doctors yeah i'm going to tell them this is happening the doctor will say well yeah. you need to go on the pill what, yeah. what, what does that person do advocate for yourself okay you have the education to know that it's not okay and well this you know might be lesson from women from all over the place every country every state every province or district has different kind of ways in which the medical systems work there are though options or you can ask for a second opinion mm. um also utilizing resources around uh, women's sexual health clinics is also a great way they're dealing with this more on a regular basis than say your general practitioner asking for a referral to an OB-GYN. OB-GYNs, they sometimes will actually get uh, further diagnostics, but it does depend on the individual. I mean, people often will go like, oh, my doctor is ancient and they don't, you know, they're not up to date. Don't, don't be ageist. Don't be sexist. Yeah. Um, there are people that are just coming out of med school that also have some misperceptions around menstruation and reproduction. So you've got to go and you've got to find what works for you. Mm. There are people that are working more in our functional health world or naturopathic world. And often people go like, oh, well, they must know. I have to say from my experience, there's still bad eggs that don't really understand what's going mm. on, mm. no matter if we're in allopathic or complementary medicine. Um, so tracking and being your own advocate also if you are going to be doing any type of intervention personally you want to make sure that you're getting and pulling information from good sources Uh, don't just go to the first website you find there are people like myself that i mean this is what i do i I consult with women all over the world um to be able to help them through but i'm gonna go back to something i said at the very very beginning stress is often the main reason for things going off track if things are starting to go off track one of the biggest things is start managing your stress as much as possible exactly and this goes from our external emotional stress are you going to sleep at a normal circadian arithmetic period are you doing everything you can to help yourself get to a restful sleep state are you doing the opposite in the morning Breathing, and I know that's the name of your podcast, but breathing is so vital to good health. And if you're not breathing um, with a normal breath cycle, aka you've got, say, a deviated septum or you're a mouth breather or something that is over time going to impact this. Also, just the impact of breathing on our central nervous system. I'm reading a book at the moment called Breath by James Nestor. Yeah, James Nestor. It's a, I recommend that book for a lot of people, actually. Yeah, it's an awesome um, book. Yeah, Andrew McEwen is also a really great research and, uh, resource in that world, too. Um, when it comes you know, to sleep, you yeah. also, Matthew Walker is a great Matthew book. Walker is another yeah. one I recommend people to yeah. quite frequently as well. Yeah. Um, and so that's just two, but I mean, even things like coping mechanisms, stress reduction mechanisms, also mm-hmm. what we eat that's really important and so often people think about it as like weight loss or weight gain but food is such a critical nutrient giving element and if we're not having regular bowel movements we need to ask why and by regular bowel movements i'm talking daily a lot of women struggle from constipation and they think it's okay to only have a bowel movement say three times a week estrogen gets excreted through our poop we're not pooping. We're not excreting our estrogen. Yeah. Estrogen can jump shit and recirculate. 
Mm. We don't want that. That's not going to contribute to having our homeostasis in our reproductive cycle. Um, other things as well as, you know, overtraining, undertraining. I was going to ask you that much, question. Eating too little. Mm-hmm. We know with the training, although I don't really see that many bodybuilders, mm-hmm. bodybuilders anymore. I used to work a lot with bodybuilders. I don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Or athletes. I mainly work with general population. Yeah. Um, but for example, uh, you mentioned earlier, if you're doing squats and you are bloated, potentially you don't know why, uh, and you're not going to feel very nice about yourself. But is there, a, 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 for example, let's say in the last part of your period, after you've ovulated, if everything's okay, uh, but you're starting to get a little bit, you know, feeling tired, feeling a little bit hungrier, you're feeling a bit more irritated. And h- how does that work in terms of the training? Do we need to pull things back? I'm an individualist, right? Yes, so I'm going to say it depends on the individual. Some yes. individuals, I mean, there's a huge thing to be said about intuitive training and intuitive eating um but you can't do intuitive unless you have the tools to do it of course healthily yes movement and connecting to our bodies is incredibly important for a lot of people's mental and emotional well-being so saying that you're not going to do not anything might not be the best for Mm. your mental emotional well-being that has impact Uh, we also know that light exercise can significantly improve cramping Mm. so sometimes when individuals are cramping it's really important to go for a walk Mm. if you're somebody though that is having like you know you're dragging your ass and it's happening in the luteal phase month after month after month then we have to ask why why yes before we start changing you know x y and z we have to ask why Yes. And then work to understand that before then we create in a plan for say the impact totally. of our training. It's so individual, per- isn't it? It's like so individual. And yeah. whether or not you're ovulating is really important here too, yes. right? Because yes. if you're not ovulating, my answer is going to be totally different than if yes. you are ovulating. Of course. Um, and, and, and like, so, I mean, even in our industry, there's so much uh, ideas around losing your cycle with like, say low body fat. Again, it might happen. It might not happen. Might not. It might happen. And you have now an auditory cycles because you're three weeks out from a show. That in the grand scheme of things is normal based yeah. off of your stress levels on your body, right? The intake, the output. Absolutely. Um, if you are going to university and you're in exams, that, and you're really stressed. Stressed out, yes. Not having an ovulatory period or having, say, an increase in cramps might be what your body is telling you because you're really, really stressed. But mm-hmm. having these things again habitually is when we start to get into issues. Yes. So before somebody goes into crazy types of interventions, whether that's um, certain types of nutraceuticals that are like targeted towards estrogen or progesterone or mm. get your foundations down. Yes. If your foundations are not down, your experiment that. from like from a again from a researcher your yeah. experiment you just sunk your shit so flawed. exactly yeah. so things sleep breathing regular physical activity that mm. is moderate it doesn't mean going ham every single day yeah it doesn't mean that you've got to you know go to the gym every single day it's moderate yes you've got highs you've got lows things are periodized things are also individual to your body um if you have any pre-existing health conditions or potential uh, variables like on certain medications, manage those. Mm. Get on top of those. Those are going to impact your cycle. Um, If you have any type of potential disordered eating, that's going to impact your cycle. Believe it or not, research is showing that 
just thinking you are fat. Negative perception of body is an impact on ovulation. Wow. It, regardless of your intake, dietary, and training. Wow. So if you have, and, and my goodness, we all have them. Yes. We all have our tics and quirks. It's of why course. therapy for me is like investment numero uno for menstrual cycle stuff yeah. because that is so vital to mm. our health and our, health. our well-being. Um, even just nutrient deficiencies. If you're not digesting the food that you're eating, start there. Work on digestion before you start slamming a bunch of supplements. One thing at a time, right? Exactly. And yeah. strategic. And if then you take that step back and you can say, I am doing the best that I can with these. Hmm. It doesn't mean perfect. It's the best that you can. Yes. And you've been doing that for, again, at least about three, three months, six months, six months, because yeah. an egg, that process, we're about 90 things days. So that's how we use. Exactly. Yeah. Um, then take that step back and ask yourself, like, what do I need to, where do I need to go from here? Yeah. Um, if you're on the pill, it's asking yourself, where do I want to go from here? Is this something yes. I want to stay on or is this something I want to get off? And if I am yes. going to get off, I recommend doing all that foundational stuff first because yes. coming off the pill is a process all in its own. Going through perimenopause is a process all in its own. You've got mm. to get your foundations down before you go off and you go into like HRT mm. or, I mean, I have so many women that, that have gone to internal medicine doctors and everything else for like fibromyalgia or um, chronic pain in perimenopause. Mm. Mm. And it's because they are so deficient yes in hormones because they've had certain bumps along the reproductive timeline yeah. and then they get stressed about them then they stop eating properly wow. they stop sleeping properly and it's you like just start like a big snowball isn't it exactly exactly and so when it comes to women's health a lot of the things i'm saying isn't innate to women no it's no. something we should all be doing absolutely and you know, i was going to touch a little bit on that because it, it's it's something that i see on a regular basis with with clients with fat loss as an example yeah or um you know stress comes into it sleep comes into it um yeah. water intake hydration mm -hmm. what you eating how often you eating you know what you eating it's mm -hmm. it's it's actually always comes back to that doesn't it the basics yeah now my question to you is with, with the women that you're seeing on a regular basis yeah. is are they adhering to what you're asking them to do even though they're probably not yeah. happy with what's going on in their life. They're not happy with the fact that they're not ovulating. They're not, yeah. they, they, things are not right. Their health is not in the right place. Yeah. Even though you've explained to them, right, this is what's going on. This is what I want you to do. I want you to mm -hmm. log and track everything for the next six months. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that they adhere to it? I do. Okay. But I also am usually the last stop for a lot of women. Yes. After they've seen a lot of different practitioners. Yes. The other big thing is it's a relationship built on trust. Yes. They're trusting me that I'm actually looking at them and their case and giving them recommendations that are tailored to them. Mm. And I'm trusting that they're going to follow through. Mm. I do not like to have my time wasted. Absolutely. I will always be here to support people and to give them the clues that they need and Absolutely. want but there has to be some degree of responsibility. Of course. And of course. sometimes they're not ready. If they're not listening, it means they're not ready. Yes. Absolutely. It's, the same, it's, that, the same with, it's the same with fat loss. It's the same yeah. with muscle gain, isn't it? It's the same exactly. With, 
pull those up. And sometimes that's, you know, that's it. There's so many forces around us that are so much greater than we are. Mm. It can be a, an issue of a, say, early childhood trauma. Yeah. That means they've got to work on that with a trained professional, not a life coach they have online. You yeah. got to find a trained professional that Absolutely. has a trauma Absolutely. therapist or counselor. Absolutely. And it's going to take time. Like when women come to me and they're, say, have had an anovulatory or amenorrheic cycle, they, people want that. How long is it going to take to get it back? Yeah, I want it tomorrow. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. It could take three. It could take six. There's so many different variables that got you to yeah. here. And there's so many different variables going on here. Yeah, but so we, we have we, to take this step yeah. by step by step. But we live and, in a society that people want it today. Exactly. And, you know, being on um, things like, I mean, crap, even social media. If mm -hmm. I could, if I could, you know, when I'm done my doctorate and I delete everything. Field more, delete everything. I want. No, I already have. I'm <laughs> not on social media right now. But uh, it's interesting because social comparison. Mm. And if we know that just thinking that you're you're fat impacts yeah. ovulation, Madness. I would love to know social comparison in the digital yes. world, especially yeah. around things like body image. I mean, some of the things we didn't even get to were like toxins, like toxins are everywhere in our life right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. We don't fully understand the impact of environmental chemicals. Yeah. We don't fully Im Im understand the impact of um, certain types of cosmetics or even cosmetic procedures mm. over time in a body. And it's going to be different for all of us because yeah. each of us have our own thumbprint our, our blueprint the yes. the dna the genetics that make up who we are and with genetics it, even if you have say certain types of genetic variants it doesn't equal destiny mm -hmm. you have to put those genes in an environment so if you have an individual though that say has some genetic variants that are going to change the ways that they're metabolizing their hormones they're changing the ways they're metabolizing um, certain types of toxins drugs and carcinogens changing their um let's say affinity for just general stress reduction or stress management because of some nervous system <clears throat> and adrenal. Hmm. Uh, and then say they also have some inner predispositions as I like to call them for um, certain types of neurotransmitters to get released in higher amounts, AKA they're more uh, likely to, to pump out dopamine as opposed to GABA, which has had a calming impact. Yeah. Yeah those alone aren't enough usually to get you into trouble. It's when that individual now has gone on and off the pill, is over drinking alcohol, drug use, yeah, and cosmetic yeah. procedures, and they're not sleeping properly. They don't have a sense of purpose or belonging. Yeah. They are over training, they're under eating, all of those things together. How is what begin to put you get you into trouble so when people come to me and they go like what do i do it's like we have to take that okay, strong step back yes and that is the hardest thing for all of us to do is to look hard and long mm. at ourselves and to do it in a way that is compassionate it's not mm. to be critical it's yeah. not to be like oh my god i'm so stupid i can't believe it no that's not gonna help you no it's that's gonna add stress yeah, you did the best that you could based off of the understanding You're that you had. Absolutely. And now we can understand, learn, and do better moving forward. Yeah. I'm totally transparent with my own story. Um, personally, uh, and based off of my 
genetic variants and everything else. So hyperandrogenism or high levels of androgens, I'm genetically susceptible to them. My older sisters both also have them as well. And I've got multiple cousins on the paternal side. Mm. I mean, we didn't even get into hyperandrogenism, but there is sometimes genetic background to it. Yeah. And that manifests in different ways. Hyperinsulinemia is another thing. Like I am I am fat genes all over in both sides yeah. of the family. It's, it's incredible, but I'm able to keep my, my health in check by being vigilant, yes. but also compassionate to myself. Yes. Uh, I'm able to also recognize that personally, just because of my really crazy health history, my genetics, my life, everything, having regular ovulatory cycles is really important. Really hard for my body though. Yeah. 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 yeah it yeah. is hard but like, you work you work on it right i have to work on it every single day yes. and it is it would be i always tell people i can't expect somebody to do something that i'm not willing to do myself of course absolutely i'm okay personally with only having a few ovulatory cycles a year mm. based off of all you, of my health of course, and personal history yeah but i'm vigilant and making sure that everything is play in place to help me with that. And when I need to, I know how to actually help augment my levels yes. of progesterone in a proper way yes. to help me move forward. Yes. But it's, that's, it's that recognition and that understanding mm. and then also knowing that things can change at the drop of a pin. Wow. Um, you could be healthy today and tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Who knows where you're going to be. Yeah. Uh, you know what, Victoria, this has been such an insight on honestly um because again I, i've read a little bit about the menstrual cycle being mm -hmm. a coach i thought it'll be, it's my responsibility as a coach to know the basics at least of how my female clients what, what they're going through and you know what you kind of pretty much blown it all out of the water today but in a better in a, in a really good way because you made it really uh, such a complicated thing really simplified to try and understand for me to, to then put forward to people and people that are listening to this, I'm hoping now that they can find their own individual way of how their body is working based on just tracking. Mm -hmm. And then based on the symptoms that they're getting, right. Look at stress. What's your stress levels like? What's your sleep like? What's your hydration like? What's your, and you've made it it's so complicated, but yet you made the, the, the process quite simple. Yeah. If you're healthy, everything's okay. Good, thing, good things happen. Yes. Right. Yeah. And maintaining that for a period of time. It's not mm. just getting your, you know, getting your ducks in a row and then being like, I should have a regular cycle next month. It's no, mm. you got to give yourself time, but exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's actually one of my little like mantras that I say to people and have for years now. It's yeah. when things are functioning internally, the way that they're supposed to, you're going to have you know, the form is going to be there. So whether that's the way that you look or your athletic endeavors, or in this case, our menstrual cycle. Yes. And sometimes we don't have the control. I mean, we never actually have control over our bodies. So let's be yeah. real. Yeah. But sometimes you don't get a choice as to where your body or your, your mm. life goes. Yeah. And so you can only do the best that you can at any given point in of your course. life. Of course. And remembering that it, it does change. There is variance and there's so much we don't understand and learn. So it's, yeah. you know, it's that story. You're buckling up for that story, that saga. Mm. And take a breath because it's going to be okay. It just yeah. is going to take some time yeah. to figure it all out. Yeah, I'll I tell you what, uh, um, to, 
one of the things for me that as I grow mm-hmm. up, as I'm becoming more of an adult every day and mm-hmm. I'm learning new things, reading books such as, you know, The Breath mm-hmm. and Matthew Walker. And, you know, this, mm-hmm. these things are becoming like, it's almost like I'm going from really complicated world to a really simple world. You know, it's so simple. Like we are massively overthinking things. We just need to take a step back and say, you know what? We need to breathe better. We need to sleep better. We need to eat better. We need to rest. Mm-hmm. We need to recover. We need to be active yeah. in, 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 in moderation. And everything will be okay. It's like, it's yeah. so basic. However. Because it's so complicated on the inside. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's honestly, I, I find it empowering personally. Me too. For me, I find it empowering. And, and it's something that. I've been asked before, even on podcasts, like if I could go back and, and change anything, I wouldn't still to this day. Mm. Uh, everything in my journey has helped me get to where I am yeah, today. Absolutely. But at the same time, I wish I would have chilled the fuck out yeah, yeah. earlier on. Yeah. I took the weight of the world on my shoulders, my shoulders. And sometimes life requires that. Yeah. But everything i mean the the law of physics right what comes up must come down you've got to counterbalance things and so if you are in periods of higher stress say from your external environment you've got to help manage it you've got to be that much more vigilant with certain types of stress and coping yes um and the other thing i was going to say add to your book list yes uh bessel van der the body keeps score it is a phenomenal phenomenal book on how our body holds on to trauma and the impact the physiological impact of psychological trauma cool. um it is though in, in my little book list that's in there can i give um, you a book recommendation you might have already absolutely. read it why zebras don't get ulcers you read that i've, I've read that was one of my first yeah, yeah, books yeah. actually that's a great I, book i had to read that in my second year of university okay um that's and so book. and back Back then, I thought I was ahead. I'm like, I'm above this. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. Um, yeah. Gabor Matty, he's got a lot of really great resources yeah. too. He's a he's a researcher in um, addiction, but also does a lot of work around trauma and the the physical impact of that as well. Awesome. Um, and I think that as as health practitioners or as people that are looking to get healthy, we focus so much on the body. We focus so much on what's my blood pressure. Yes. What's my nutrition like? What's the the latest diet, the latest training program? Yes. But we fail to realize that we have a we have this thing on top of our yeah, yeah. body. Yeah, yeah. And we can't separate it. And so often when people are beginning to go down um, that journey with me, it's really beginning to develop a sense of mindfulness yeah um really beginning to develop a sense of hey I'm, i've got some maybe traumas i need to work through and even if i don't i want to be the best person i can be and that involves a degree of working with somebody to help mm-hmm. me get there mm-hmm. um if we don't have a sense of purpose that impacts our health there's lots of research on that yeah if we don't have a sense of social belonging which right now in a pandemic yeah it's massive, massive. absolutely um, and there is so much research on that but as a fitness community we've become so focused on the body because that's right. what, I mean, that's what people pay us to do. Yep. Um, and that has really done a disservice to yes. so many individuals. And unfortunately it is going to take time for yeah. that to change, It will. but I feel like we're in the right place and you're helping with that by, yeah. by really exposing people to this. Well, stuff. This is what this podcast are about, right? Because 
although the fitness industry, we work with mainly athletes, bodybuilders, mm -hmm. we used to, right? I, I mean, yeah. not anymore. But now the general population don't really know this stuff. Yeah. They don't yeah. know. And this is why I wanted to create this podcast because I honestly just want to share um, just stuff that can people, can people yeah. can change immediately. And, and, and you know what it is? Every time I come back to whatever problem is going on, mm -hmm. it, may, it may be, you know, type 2 diabetes. It may be, you know, cardiovascular problems. It comes down to lifestyle. It comes down to stress, yeah. sleep. Stress. Yeah. It comes down to all of that, right? And, it, it, we always, and the thing is, I'm hoping that every time people listen to this, it's just, oh, you know, the biggest thing is, I need to fix my stress. I need to make sure yeah. I, I breathe properly. You know, it's, it's massive, isn't it? Yeah. And it's just, yeah. I guess, throwing that message out there every week, yeah. every day, every month, it's people will yeah. hopefully will sink in at some point. Yeah, and it, it's it's internal, external. That's why I'm asking what I do. It's cellular to social and beyond because yes. that's that is what the body needs to yeah. be its best self, and it changes over time. It's constantly. Mm. I mean, our cells are you know changing even as we sit here and speak. Yeah. Our hormones yeah. have changed, and yeah. our neurotransmitters and everything else, and that. Mm we don't always get to pick exposure to certain things, whether it's, mm. you know, living in a town that there are, uh, I live in a town where there's a cement plant, which means there's more particulates in the air. Mm. I can't control that. No, what I course. can control is working on how to, you know, diminish or reduce the impact of that. Absolutely. Like having an air filter in Absolutely. my house. house, like making sure that I have the windows open at times that there's actually no blasting going yes. on versus yes. when there is. Yes. So even things like that, it sounds so trivial, but over time it makes a difference. Yep. Um, that's that habitual makes a difference. And as women, we also have to recognize that just our sex changes the ways in which we have access to certain medical resources and understanding. And again, I used to be that like so critical and angry about this. And then as I've gotten older, I've just kind of gone, you know, it's not okay. Yeah. But, but yeah, I don't blame the practitioners. I don't blame. I just have to work to do better for yes. women and, and get knowledge out. But still I want individuals to really appreciate that too. Your race, influences your access to certain resources your social economic status your education and there, those are sometimes things that are greater than us yeah they're not like drinking amount of water no. or getting to bed at time but guess what those are the things you can do yes control so let's what focus you can. on those control exactly what yeah absolutely let go of what you can't surrender to it absolutely absolutely so um Think, where can people find yeah. you? If they want to know more about your work, they want to maybe even work with you. Maybe they, they, yeah. at the end, they're at the end of their, they've tried all this three months, six months tracking. Yeah. And if you know what, I, Victoria, I need you in my life. Where can they find yeah. you? Yeah, so I am at victoriafelkar.com. Um, that is my website. That's got applications for um, consulting work. And in the new year, I will be actually... Um, releasing a second type of consult. I do a very kind of niche boutique consulting right now just because I am trying to finish writing yeah. my PhD, which is Taking it's its own time. beast. Beast, it is massive to do. I'm writing a book. Yeah. Um, but that should be wrapped up in the next year or so. So I will be um, able to take on more individuals um, and at, at different capacities after I release this new thing. So just keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Um, I am on I have social media. Mm. I am not currently on social Active. media. Yeah. If you add me, I will be resuming in the new year as well. well. I just took 
honestly, the best thing I have ever done yeah. is I took a six month sabbatical yeah. from social media and it has been so good. Yeah. So good. So don't message me on social media. I'm yeah. not going to see it. I saw your message only because my aunt, who I love dearly, she only communicates me through Facebook Messenger on my personal page. Right. She does not answer texts. So I actually went on to talk to her Fair and I saw your message. So that's the funny thing. And, and often if something is more professional, yeah. I do say just email me. Um, so if anybody is looking to work with me or that's yeah, where I also have a ton of stuff on my website in terms of podcasts, yeah. but I do go into more specific pieces like perimenopause or hyperandrogenism or birth control. Um, and I will, I've got actually a lot more I have to upload over the next month or so as I'm going to yeah. be off work. So, um, so those are your main places to find me. And then awesome. awesome. So you got a book, you got a book coming out soon. Well, I've got the PhD and then yeah. that I'm doing it Translate in a way that, that yeah, it's going to be trying. So when people ask like, why is it taking me so long to write it? It's because I'm writing it simultaneously and, and kind of putting knowledge together for both academic yeah. and pop. Yeah. And that is a feat that I do not recommend. <laughs> You're already stressed like, your life. It is. And also, uh, I probably have 6,000 plus pieces of data. Wow. I might only be able to include one to two. Wow. So a in, lot my, in my actual work. So yeah. it is, uh, I mean, it's, I've been at this for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and how, how many watching, years? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I started in September 2015. Wow, so quite a long time, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's gonna be amazing when it's completed. I hope so. It's gonna it shake things up. It's gonna, honestly, I can say that too with complete confidence. The work that I've gotten into is going to shake things up in a very, very big way because- Oh, well, I'll be the first one to buy it. That's yeah, what I found is that, so the history of women, so on my work specifically for my doctorate, female athlete is my focus because you got a niche when you yeah. are in research or else you could drive yourself crazy. Um, and so I look at female athletes and specifically female athlete, reproductive function and the use of, I call them reproductive or pharmaceutical reproductive control agents. Yeah. So that is things like the birth control pill. Um, and so for the last 80 years, before there were anabolic steroids even, um, reproductive control agents have been given to female athletes for the purposes of controlling reproductive function administration yeah. for the purposes of sport performance mm. without any acknowledgement of risk, mm. without any acknowledgement of the impact on performance. Yes. And it has had a devastating impact. impact. Yeah. De I and I, can and I can't, yeah, I can't even like the, the impact is in so many different things. And it also impacts things like our concept of the female athletic body, mm. AKA, how menstruation works so when people talk about training for menstruation i'm like that no. shit is based on i know the studies it's based on and i can tell you it is not okay it is yeah. uh because I, realistically women i mean even today but going into the 1920s we were not allowed to participate in sport if we were on our menstrual cycle mm, wow that is 
still happens today, but back then it was there. Either our uterus was going to fall out because wow. it was too heavy. It was taboo to show any sign of blood. Wow. It was bacterially infested. So good God, we cannot oh, be God. around other people. It would make us weaker. It would make us inferior. And so even, I mean, the marathon wasn't added into the Olympics until the 1980s because wow. there was perceptions that women were too weak to, do to it. participate in marathon. Mm. And so as women in the, about the turn of the, the century, as women were able to begin to get access to sport, it was, okay, you can do sport, but you cannot do it mm. during menstruation or around menstruation. Wow. And that be created this hyper focus. And so how can we have athletes compete at elite levels? Level. Let's, yeah. let's just do away with their periods altogether. Yeah. So get rid of them. So, and that's wow. still a practice that's being done today. Today, And so my work has completely gone through the entire history wow. of that's that. The, that's definitely going to put some feathers, that's for sure. People are going to be, I'm looking yeah. forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. That's, that sounds uh, like... it's, it's called sex, drugs, and menstruation. Sounds great. Sounds really good. Yeah. Well, when do you reckon we'll be ready and out? I will be defending, hopefully, um, so that means in front of the academic community yes. over the next uh, probably eight uh, eight or so months from now. Um, 2022, something along those lines. That will be the plan, and yes. uh, I have a lot more to where that came from. I mean, I've done extensive work on female athletes uh, and also steroid use of all types, so anabolic yes. androgenics, also other types of hormonal agents. Um, that's actually where my work started and I kind of diversified when I saw this massive elephant in the room. Um, and so I've done a ton of stuff on that. So I do have lots and lots of stuff. It just is getting it now out to the people. Can I ask you a question just before we yeah. move? Uh, only because of what you mentioned with sports yeah. and women. CrossFit being mm -hmm. a, a huge sport now, right? And women are mm -hmm. amazing at it. Um, yeah. Have you found anything within that field of CrossFit and cross-correlating to maybe uh, unhealthy habits within CrossFit, mm -hmm. especially the female community? Yeah. Um, so I don't often distinguish between kind of the worlds, whether it's female fitness and bodybuilding yeah. or into CrossFit. Right yeah. now, more than ever, we've seen a huge amount of growth in women's participation. Actually, the last 10 years have been just yes. explosive. Yeah. Like in the timeline of women athletes, it is like, Madness. I cannot wait to show people the statistics. It is like insane, like wow. never before seen increases yeah. in participation. And so in terms of like unhealthy habits, whether or not you're an athlete eating certain types of ways as an athlete that are maybe not advantageous. Mm -hmm. So prolonged low carbohydrate for women, we need carbs to make our hypothalamus work. So yeah. if you are doing keto chronically or fasting or going through um, certain types of low carbohydrate protocols that does have detrimental impact on your overall health, if you're doing it over time and in extreme high stress settings. Yep. Uh, likewise, high amounts of physical stress, yes. whether that is a short workout that is really, really intense, intense. Yeah. or it's longer workouts that together still have this cumulative effect, mm -hmm. that when it's not done in a periodized way yeah. is so detrimental to the human body, men or women alike. Yeah. So periodization, it is such an important thing because doing, I mean, high, high intensity frequency activity um, three, five, six days a week for six months, a year, 
And then low calories as well. Exactly. And that's that whole compound effect. It does have a negative impact on things like menstruation. Also, drug use does not get talked about in CrossFit the same as it does get talked about in other disciplines like bodybuilding Bodybuilding. um, or powerlifting. And that's also a conversation. It's a part of it for sure. I mean, it's part of everything. Every sport. Every sport. If it enhances enhances your performance, people are going to take it, right? Yeah. If if there's money involved. yeah, and I'm not anti or pro. And no, no, there, absolutely. There, there are pros and cons to everything. It's, absolutely. It's the education and it's also the acknowledgement. And unless yep. we acknowledge it, we yep. often can't actually educate on it. Um, and just like there are some really stupid supplements out there that are really detrimental that should mm. actually be more classified as a drug than yeah. as a supplement. Yeah. Um, and you see these in, in multiple, multiple different disciplines. And so, I, like I said, I don't like to distinguish between certain kind yeah. of like de- denominations of sports or yes. activities. Yes. It's just that general awareness that like Being aware. amazing women are participating and just kicking awesome. ass. And oh, yeah. why I love it is it shows that women are not inherently weaker to men. Absolutely. That is a social concept Absolutely. that has been constructed over yeah. time. Yeah. And why have we seen this increase? Is because we're seeing more women participate, yes. which then actually changes the ways in which we are looking at data. Yeah. It's changing the numbers. I mean, just even from a statistical way, we have more a population that we can have to show that, hey, yeah. women are kicking ass. Absolutely. Amazing. But to do that in a world that we don't have the awareness around women's reproductive health, female athlete health, the impact of certain types of training variables or nutrition variables or drug variables on the female body, Mm. and also how to risk manage for all of those, it's scary to me. So I'm like, it's good. Love it. Awesome. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when women were the top lifters at the U.S. Powerlifting Open. Mm. I cried. I was yeah. so happy, happy <laughs> because I was actually at a conference that weekend, and I remember being like, "This is unprecedented awesome. for women yeah. athletes. This is going to help shift quickly how women are thought of in sport." Brilliant. At the same hand, I go like holy crap, how did these women get here and where are they going to go from here because they're pushing their bodies so hard. No different than men. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But there's a bit more consciousness around men's bodies than women. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think the biggest, to finish off is, is what what, Mm -hmm. what you just mentioned there, we're talking about athletes. Mm -hmm. But the huge thing we talked about stress and how important that is, is that we're seeing in today's world, general population, not just with CrossFit, but HIIT workouts, yeah. such, as, such as spin, such as CrossFit, such as Barry's boot camp and all that kind of yeah. stuff. You know, HIIT. And, yeah. and, and people love that competitive side of things. Yeah. It's great, and I'm doing this. And, yeah. But it's highly impacted stress on your body, that is. Oh, absolutely. And they're doing it on a regular basis. Plus, they've oh. got you know, emotional stress, work, mm-hmm. kids, poor diet, poor sleep. Injuries. <laughs> I mean, so yeah. I want people to be aware of this. I want this to sink in. Yeah. When it, you know, oh yeah, but I, I love it. It's great. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. But take a yeah. step back. What's going on in your health? You know, maybe yeah. that might, that might be counter counterproductive to what you're trying to achieve yeah. right now. Yeah, I remember when my um, when my mom actually she was at the end of her life and I was her caretaker. I remember actually having to to contact a friend of mine and being like, I need you to program for me. My yeah. autopilot right now yeah. is to go hard yeah, of course. in the gym, but emotionally and physically, I know it's not good I don't have 
what yeah. that actually takes. That's what's required for that. Absolutely. Um, but also to be able to do it in a more contained setting. I'm like, I still need to feel some sense of cathartic relief, of but I need to do it in a very contained way. So there are ways around this to be able to actually do it in a healthier way. High intensity training is not the devil. No. Um, but it's just added it stress. No, yeah, it's no different than us um, utilizing a certain diet protocol or on a certain medication yeah. or whatever. Everything has pros and cons and they have to be done strategically. That's and right. And that's why I kind of brought up the point of periodization. Yeah, yeah. It is a lost art right now. Absolutely. Um, and it is so important because it's just that idea of like things go up and things go down. And, and in the most basic way I can explain it is that as Christmas is around the corner, um, for those that are listening to this, yeah. uh, you know, when it, around when it comes out, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you spent like it was Christmas every single month of the year, where would your bank account and financials be? Absolutely. It's a like, it's great analogy. Great analogy. Yeah, it's like the, I use a credit card, right? You will go into overdraft. Yes. How long can you go there before you go into yeah, like trouble. foreclosure, bankruptcy and everything else? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah. can only spend like it's Christmas for yeah, a certain yeah. period of time. Yeah. And yeah. it's usually that the healthiest in terms of like a financial healthy um, yeah. when it is done when there's a budget, yes. when you've thought out your spending, when yes. you've given yourself a set. Point. Yeah. when you've given yourself certain boundaries when you've and got those plan. boundaries exactly yeah. boundaries are not meant to be constricting they're meant to be anchoring yes absolutely and that's the same for if it's stress reduction or diet or whatever it might Hold be on. you know macros are not meant to be restricting and make you feel like you are suffocating they are an anchor they're just absolutely. like if you're a boat in a really rough sea you drop your anchor yeah. So you can stay, but you're not staying stagnant. You're Absolutely. floating back and forth. Absolutely. That is the same as macros or steps or Everything. workouts or, or whatever it might be. And that's yeah. for me what we need to begin to de develop a consciousness around. Yes. But you can't do that at the beginning of your fitness regime. You can't no. do that at, no. if you're just starting dieting. Of course. Or if you're just starting, you're tracking your menstrual cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, it's honestly been one of my favorite podcast so far and i think oh thank you honestly and i think a lot of people are going to take a lot away from this uh, and i think not just females but also coaches hopefully males and even husbands boyfriends listening to this you know i'm i'm hugely excited going back to speaking to my wife and saying right you're going to track your period for the next six months <laughs> we, we, you're going to track everything she's going to be like what yeah. i'm like you're going to do it because i want to know what's going on yeah you know? yeah and that's often what i say to people if you want to learn as male coaches yeah. If you want to learn, get a case study. Yeah, my wife. That's exactly yeah. what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I think it's important for her to also know. Um, she's going to listen to this afterwards. Yeah, I'm going to make that. <laughs> so, but listen, thank you so much for taking your time. You're welcome. I, I wish you all the best uh, for the next few days. Thank you. Uh, thank I hope, you. I hope everything goes well for you. Thank you. Uh, and in the meantime, can you send me the link that you said about the... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, any links that you want yeah, to... Yeah, the tracking. And then... Your website, yeah. your social media. Yeah, and media. then once you release, yes, once you release it, if you can, if you can just send me to the thumbnail. If you go on my website, you can your see how website. I normally do my write up. Yeah. Um, and I, I do put links to like your socials and everything else. So if you Perfect. can just send me that information, Perfect. then it makes it so I can get it, and then that also helps people. Actually, one of the things I've learned over the years yes. that helps get you business too. So, yeah, which is absolutely. always great for people. And I can send you the, the video. The video obviously we've probably been oh, over perfect. almost two hours. Uh, do you have Dropbox? Oh, I we, do. 
I'll, I'll reach out after my surgery. I'll reach out to you after my surgery. Fine, fine. My my boyfriend runs a podcast network. I don't know if you know that. Oh no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So oh, you're perfect. In the, but he's also he's a producer, and so, okay. so he knows his stuff. If, he yeah. So I'll talk to him because I might I might works with them. Um, do you know Dave Crossland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he does a show with Dave. Oh wow! What what's his podcast? It's um, Think Big Bodybuilding Media or Advices. So Advices is the podcast, but Think yeah. Big Bodybuilding Media is the um, YouTube. Think so Big because it's a, it's a con- yeah, it's a consortium of a bunch of different podcasts. Okay. Um, but like, I mean, we're friends with Dean, uh, St. Mart, and Dave Crossland. I've done shows with Dave and him over time. Yeah. Um, uh, Phil Graham is another one of my friends. I got a lot of UK friends. So You know Phil? Are- Phil Graham? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so first, first podcast I ever did. Oh, wow. So I, I actually want to do a podcast with Phil about diabetes because I know yeah. his background is... His book is phenomenal. Book. I've, got phenomenal. I, I've got his book. Yeah. So I really yeah, want it's, to... It's, it is a VF-approved book. Do you know what the problem You know the problem is, Vicky? Is the fact with these people like, like mm-hmm. Phil and yeah. these big names yeah. in the industry, they've got a big social media following. Yeah. When, when someone like me with a small yeah. social media following contacts oh, them, yeah. They don't get back to me. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I understand. I have, a, I, have a, I have a small one because I've never grown it. Um, it's yeah. not my thing. I mean, I've only started um, mine in this, 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 you know, the, yeah. uh, when did it start? I think it was April I started Yeah. in, in lockdown. I've always wanted to do one. Yeah. I had the time of, this is it, I'm going to do it now. And I, this is yeah. my 23rd or 24th po- uh, episode. Yeah. So it's growing quite fast. Yeah. But, it's getting good. I want to get good guests on, on the podcast. I'm going to add value to, to the general population. Well, if you reach out to Phil, just be like, I've had people like Victoria Felker. I know she's absolutely. done your show before. Yes. Um, Luke Leanham is another great resource. He's with Muscle okay. Nerds. He's, yeah. he's down in, the, um, in Australia. He is really great. Luke I also hugely recommend Heather Pearson. Okay. She's in the UK. She's in London. Yeah, she is a body practitioner. She has done tons of work on low back pain. Okay, she is like capital B brilliant. I'll um, reach out to them. Yeah, Leo Daniels is another one. He is a breath practitioner in Ireland, in Dublin. Um, okay. he's also one of the most. I mean, he. We talk about people like James Nestor or Andrew McEwen, but Leo is so good like okay. he is so awesome. smart and he knows so many different um like a bit different different spectrums like you know people do wim hof and yeah. they go okay well wim hof is the only way to, it's like no leo's like uh, there are so many different, so many different disciplines ways. of breathing yeah and uh and he he's a brilliant brilliant guy um is but that, they is are that a, is that a podcast um just the big built big bodybuilding media is that the one yeah, I think big. Yeah, the yeah. Scots. Yeah, that's my part. I'm um, gonna, I'm gonna subscribe so, to that. Yeah, they do. It's, it's mostly bodybuilding um, based. He'll randomly get me. I love bodybuilding it. anyway. Um, yeah, he's, he's a huge diehard body. They also, he also runs one that's um, bodybuilding nerds radio, and that's actually really long. Okay. Going, it's been on for like seven years now. Oh wow! And it started out with just him and his best friend talking about bodybuilding podcasts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they were like reviewing before that was a cool thing to do. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because it's you know, Phil. I had I was on a show in 2016. 
Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, I think it was 2016, 2017. Maybe it was the beginning of 2017. Yeah. Um, but it was back then, as my partner always, he's like, nobody had podcasts. No, Everybody has true. podcasts it's now. It's true. It's true. And I get, I get what you're saying, because even Scott runs into that. I mean, he's got shows that have, like, like Brandon Curry is one of his good friends. Like, wow. wow. But he only has a certain amount of YouTube followers yes. because of subscription because yeah. of what he was able to monetize because he's talking about drugs yes, it yes. doesn't get into the algorithms no, yeah. and he was late to youtube he had the audio podcast only now for yes. about five years hmm. but so his downloads for audio are a lot higher than his youtube youtube yeah and youtube yeah. is getting harder and harder because there's so many it's so saturated isn't it yeah. so yeah. many people on there so it's not easy to grow on youtube channel anymore no no and that's no. something for me that i'm just like but you know what? I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. If we, we, with this podcast, if we, yeah. if we reached out to 100 people yeah. and we, we helped 50 of those change their lifestyle, we've done a great job. Yeah. It's all the matter. For me, I use the metaphor of a waterfall. Um, yeah. So with a waterfall, we always think of like the waterfall as being the most important, beautiful mm. thing. Yeah. But to get to that, there was a, a river, a single river. There was multiple rivers. There was Absolutely. multiple streams. Absolutely. There was multiple tributaries. There yes. were all of these other things along the way. So when I think of like creating social change, it's not just the waterfall. It's not just no. that one opportunity or having millions of followers or whatever. Absolutely. It, it is about the trickle effect and that yeah. if you can, uh, and I probably business stuff, it's like top down versus bottom down approach. Yeah. For me, I'm like, you got to do it all. If you want to create change, you do. so you care about those little rivers, you care about those little streams, Absolutely. and those are your one or two or three or five people listening right now, yes. but over time, it's that, that snowball that creates then that outcome that we're all striving for. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's been absolutely amazing. I, well, I can't wait to get your book. When the book comes out, I will hopefully have to do another podcast about the book. Yeah, you know, it's funny because so many, if you look, if you listen back to old podcasts, like even with Phil, he's like, yeah. so your book is coming out soon. And I'm like, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like in about five years. <laughs> yeah, like kind of. It will I'm come tired, out one day. So listen, it will be there and it will, when, when the time is right, it will be there. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking your time. You I'm are really so welcome. Have a fantastic right. weekend. And you I'll too. See you. Take care. Bye. See you soon. Bye-bye.